Well, good morning. Very excited to be together this morning, uh, continuing to talk about the book of Philippians. Uh, I know for many of us, we've been reading the book, To Live is Christ, to kind of go alongside it. Uh, it. It's interesting, every part of the service, you get to hear a passage in Philippians. Same thing's going to happen today, so amen. Uh, I've got a couple stories I, I want to start with that I think are going to be fitting to uh, what we'll be talking about today. A guy by the name of Bob Kuchenberg, a former Miami Dolphins football player, once explained what motivated him to go to college. My father and uncle were human cannonballs in carnivals. My father told me, go to college or be a cannonball. <laughs> then one day, my uncle came out of the cannon, missed the net, and hit the Ferris wheel. I decided to go to college. <laughs> Second story, these are both uh, testimonials that were shared. That's one, this is another one. At a busy dental office, uh, there is one patient uh, that was always late. This is a true story. One time a call was placed to confirm an appointment. The patient said, I'm gonna be about 15 minutes late. That won't be a problem, will it? No, the receptionist said. We just won't have time to give you the anesthetic. He arrived early. <laughs> so these two men had different things that motivated them to make different life decisions. The first did not want to see himself being thrown or shot or any kind of forward momentum into a uh, Ferris wheel. Or probably out of a cannonball either. The second didn't want to endure any procedure without the comfort of at least some sort of pain medication. And you know, we may have different things at different times that motivate us. But when it comes to our continual walk with God, what will be the thing for you that will help you continually walk side by side with the Lord? Not just for a day. Not just for a couple years while you're in college, and that seems like the cool thing to do, right? But for the rest of your life, are we going to be motivated by the masses or by the master? You know, we spent the last few weeks looking at Paul and looking at the church in Philippi. And, you know, and something that I've noticed about this, especially in Philippians chapter 1 and 2, is Paul desperately desperately wants the people to be motivated by Jesus. And I think that's true for us today. I think Paul wants that for us, but I think God wants that for us as well. And you know, as we strive every day to grow closer to God, and that's what we're running towards, as we strive every day to keep in step with the Spirit, let us fix our motivation on something that, that won't fail, something that's not short-term by any means. And so the title of my sermon today is Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Why we do anything or why we should do anything. <laughs> because of Jesus. And the hope is that the decisions we make are because of Jesus. Not because of some short-term thinking, not because of some instant gratification, but because we've got our eyes set on where we know they should be. 
And you know, Paul, over and over, he wants to communicate this to the church, that their motivation should be Jesus. Let's look at a few scriptures. Philippians 1, verse 13 says, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone that I am in chains for Christ. Paul's like, everybody knows why I'm here. We talked about this. They're getting annoyed by it. They're telling their friends, good, right? I am in chains for Christ. Philippians 1, 20 says, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For Paul, Christ, no matter what the circumstances were, was his motivation. Philippians 1, 27, whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I love that word, worthy of Jesus Christ worthy to communicate and to live out his gospel. And that's Philippians 1, and I've skipped quite a few in there. And then in Philippians 2 and verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of, uh, as Christ Jesus. So Paul is telling the church in Philippi that in everything they do, in all their decisions, allow Christ to be your motivation. Because in that, then it will not fail. If it's anything else, it will fall short. And here's something I've learned in my life. When Christ is my motivation, oftentimes the plans that I've had for my life usually shift. Because they're no longer my plans, they are now Christ's plans. When I got married, I had a plan for my life. I was going to teach Whatever someone would hire me to teach, and then I was going to coach either basketball or volleyball. And I was excited about it, and everything in my life seemed to have a box it was going to fit in. This is what I was going to do. This is where I was going to live. I was going to be just fine. My life direction was set. And then God says, hold on. <clears throat> Am I your motivation? I was like, yeah. Then we're not doing any of that, right? <laughs> Scrap all that. I got other things for you. And I think when we're motivated by Christ, we allow ourselves to be directed by Christ as well. We allow him to make decisions that maybe we're not excited about, maybe that we didn't sign up for, maybe that's something we didn't go to school for. We're like, I didn't sign up for this. I'm an English major and I'm not doing that, right? I mean, but the question is, in all this, are we okay with that? Are we okay with Christ taking control and guiding us to where he needs us to go? Do we find ourselves more attached to our own plans, or are we open to be guided by the Spirit? Think about your own journeys for a moment. Maybe you're feeling conflicted because you so desperately want something to happen that may not be in God's plans. God is standing somewhere else saying, I've got something better for you. Just look over here. It's going to be great. But then oftentimes we just get that tunnel vision. We just get focused. No, 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 no. But this is what I went to school for. This is what I've invested the last five years of my life in. But this is what I planned on doing since birth. You know what I'm saying? But we just, we get tunnel vision. And the whole time God's like, no, I'm right here. I got you. Just look over here. Paul wants the people to remember that Christ is their motivation. And so Christ should be the person, thing, being, 
guiding their steps. In Philippians 2, Paul tells the church to have the same mindset as Jesus. Jesus knew what he had to do. We see in the garden that wasn't something he was excited about. But then we also see in the garden, may your will, not my will, be done. God, guide my steps to where I need to go. You know, Philippians 2, it says, Jesus made himself nothing. He lowered himself. He became obedient to death, as Paul says, even on a cross. So it wasn't a normal, hey, yeah, firing squad, or, or hey, yeah, uh, poison, or hey, quick. No, no, no. It was a long, drawn-out, painful experience. And I just, I love how Paul words that. Jesus obeyed death and died, meaning he didn't have to. <laughs> I chose to obey death. What a cool statement to make. I'm just going to throw that out there, right? I decided to let death win this one, but I got him round two. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's, that's kind of what he said. He, he chose to obey death. So Paul says, Jesus did it. He learned how to obey. And so you should too. Philippians 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, I love how he does that, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Paul calls them to obey by working out their salvation with fear and trembling. He's not telling them they can earn their salvation through anything that they can do, but he's telling them in your daily lives to be united with Christ and do it humbly with fear and trembling. And it's interesting because this letter, as, Paul, uh, as Jordan just pointed out, is viewed as a book of joy. <laughs> we see Paul's love for the people. He's excited, but then he throws this really hard truth at them, but he's smiling the whole time. We see Paul having to probably help some people who weren't in a good place. And just because they weren't in a good place didn't mean he didn't love them. He didn't have high expectations for them. Didn't mean he wasn't trying to help them know God. He loved them. But he wanted them to see what they needed to see. I believe as I read through this, the people in the church in Philippi, there were some that just weren't getting along. You know, Paul even, hey, I know some people are preaching Christ out of envy and others out of humility. So we know up front there were people who were disunified. And so Paul's dealing with a church that's got some issues. There were things they were doing well, but in some parts they just weren't on the same page. And Paul's like, I'm not having that. I've got to say something here. And he says, the reason you need to do this, the reason you need to be unified in this way is because that's what Jesus is wanting. And I need you to do this so, so we can help fulfill God's purpose. You know, I see Paul playing dad here. You need to obey and be nice to each other. Right, just coming into the room. You need to obey here. Please knock this off. I think sometimes I bargain with my kids, like if they're, they're arguing over something, like, please just calm down, please. It's just like I need you guys to be on the same page here. I see Paul like, hey, knock it off, okay? Just knock it off because I need you to be unified. And not just because... Paul wants everything to be cool and, and, and calm, but because he needs them to be able to be in a place where they can do God's will. 
and so they can fulfill God's purpose. You know, something I've noticed about Paul in his letters is each discipling or correcting moment is intentional. He's not just telling the people to change just to change, but there's a greater purpose here at work. We see it in a couple of verses later, Philippians 2, 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. He's, just, he's not telling them, hey, knock it off, don't argue with each other. He said, no, no, you need to change this because, because of Jesus. Because of the generation you're in needs to see a difference between you and them. Paul is quoting Deuteronomy 32, telling the church not to complain and argue because he needs them to be set apart. That was Moses correcting the people. Hey, you need to be set apart. You are God's people. Act like it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's Moses. I'm not going to get into that. But that, that, that was Moses. Moses is on his way out. Literally, God has already reminded Moses at that point he's going to die. He says, hey, you're going to die, but I need you to do some stuff. So you know Moses is kind of at his wit's end, and these guys aren't getting along. He's like, come on, knock it off, all right? Love each other. And then he sings a song about it, which it's hilarious. Anyway, Deuteronomy 32, enjoy that read. Um, but he also does it, uh, Paul does this in Philippians. He does it a few other places as well. One of them is 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 11. It says, and to make your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. So in this situation, he's telling the church in Thessaloniki, Thessalonica, to, to calm down. Why? Because I want you to win the respect of outsiders. He's not just discipling them to discipling them because it irritates him. He says, look at the big picture. you got to help the community you're in. You've got to be a bright light. And if you're not being a bright light with each other, there's no way you're going to be a bright light with your city or your community. He wants them to be better for God, for each other, and for those who are outside needing to look in. Paul calls people at different times to change different things. And he's urging them, challenging them, and calling them to obey. And the hope is, is that they will change. Not just because Paul tells them to do so, but because of Jesus. Because they go, okay, we see Paul's example, and we see he learned that example from Jesus. That's something i got to get on board with. That's something I've got to learn and understand, is this has to be my motivation. Jesus showed love first, and now we've got to learn to imitate. And I think that's the same for us. Jesus has got to be our motivation. You know, a hard challenge for me back in Philippians chapter 2, um, Paul tells the people, to do everything without grumbling or arguing. Uh, this was a scripture very on my parents had me memorize. I, I can't figure out why. Um, but, but the older I got, the more I realized how difficult this scripture was to obey. Grumbling we understand. But for me, the word arguing here is interesting. The Greek word is dialogamosis, uh, which translates, I don't think that's how you pronounce it. I totally butchered that. But which translates to the word reasoning. And for me, with this understanding, I see this passage telling everyone to do everything without looking for loopholes. Do everything without complaining or arguing. It's a, it's a legal term. You're not looking for loopholes. You're not looking for a way around the problem. Do everything the way you know it should be done. And I feel like 
if, if we're not careful, we can, you know, we can become in some ways, and maybe this is just me, like the serpent in the garden. Did God really say that? I mean, did he, did he really mean it that way? Did, did he really mean you would die? And it's, I mean, maybe, and we start to question things that we know for a fact are wrong, but we start searching for those loopholes to benefit ourselves. You know, and I feel like there are scriptures we wrestle with to understand, things that with deeper meaning that we're super trying to figure out, hey, what does this mean? How do I apply it? There are definitely scriptures out there. But the Bible tells us to do everything without complaining. That's pretty straightforward. You know, well, what does it mean by complaining? It means what you're doing. Stop it, right? <laughs> don't. But, but I think we look for loopholes. Well, let me, let me get into the Greek there. No, you don't need to. They've translated that word very well. But we, we're trying to find things that we know we know we should do. You know, Paul is telling the people not to do these things because apparently this kind of interaction they were having with people, and it was having a negative in, uh, impact on the community and the church. Non-disciples would view this squabbling from Christians and wouldn't be able to see the difference between them and the Christians. Well, I, what makes you different? You're doing what we're doing, arguing, complaining about everything, grumbling about your circumstances. What, what makes you different from us? Well, we have Jesus. Okay. I, you know, they just they couldn't see it. And so Paul calls them to repent. And I think when we're a people that are claiming we are Christians, claiming we are set apart, then we got to live like it. Our lives have to look like that. Because otherwise people won't know the difference. We can't call ourselves students of Jesus if we're living like students of sin. They just, there's no mix. Light and darkness have no intersection. There's no gray area. I think this is the thing I want us to hold on to this morning, is if we're going to call ourselves Christians, which I believe we are, and I believe that we can do, we've got to make a decision then to be like that and live like that. Not just for a short period of time or when we're feeling it, but all the days of our lives, regardless of circumstance. God wants us to be holy. He wants us to be set apart. And, and you see here, Paul writes, he wants us to shine like stars. Philippians 2, verse 15. Then, you do the things I just mentioned, and you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run labor of vain. He goes, look, do this so it doesn't make me look bad. Please, amen, thank you. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. He goes, look, you fall short, you fall short. You tried, I'm rejoicing either way. So rejoice with me. When we live our lives intentionally set apart, we will naturally shine like stars. We will be different. People will see a difference in what you're doing. And the hope is, in that, we will have the impact that I, I believe God wants us to have in our lives, in our communities, or, or here in the church. You know, just to speak honestly for a moment, something I can often get nervous with is feeling like I'm working really hard and not going anywhere. As Paul says, sometimes I, I feel like I can labor in vain. 
feel like I'm just, I'm working hard and maybe nothing's getting done. And I get nervous. I'll just get so tired that I feel like I haven't accomplished anything. Will God be pleased if I, if I don't get the results I want? And you know, what, I, what I've realized about myself is when I have these feelings, it's usually because I have a small view of God in that moment. I see God as a conditional God who loves me for what I do and not for what he made me to be. In those moments, I see God whose love is conditional, and it's not. And when I do that, and I have that mentality, I miss the depths of God's love for me. I miss the riches of how much he just wants to, to bless me and, and shower me in love in, in different ways. But because I see a, a God that's conditional, again, which he's not, I miss out, and I believe, a lot of what God wants me to see. So when I look at Paul here, and he says in verse 17, he says, but even if I'm poured out, I'm glad, and I'll rejoice. I'll rejoice. Even if I overextend myself or die seemingly or, or labor, labor in vain, I know God does not see my work that way. He loves me, and he wants what's best for me. And I think at the end of the day, that's the same for all of us, right? God sees you. He sees your heart. He sees your effort. He sees your willingness. And if you fall short of your goals, he is grateful to having son or daughter that was willing to give their heart anyway. Because he loves you. And so let's continue to work hard for the God we know that loves us. Amen? And so I want to shift gears here as we start to uh, prepare for communion. And this is something we do, obviously, because of Jesus, for what he's done. You know, in Philippians 2, Paul gives us some really interesting insights about Jesus. But I think in order to understand them fully, uh, we got to go to Genesis for a moment. And, and we know the story of Adam and Eve very well. The serpent comes, tempts, and we see in Genesis 2, verse 6, it reads, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also, also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So the passage says the fruit looked good because it was desirable for gaining wisdom. That is the weirdest attribute for a fruit, like, ever. You know what I'm saying? Like, that looked like it'd make me smarter. <laughs> looks like that carrot will help me see better. I mean, maybe. It looks like that apple will keep the doctor away. I mean, I don't know what, how they got these correlations, but the Bible says it looked like something that would make me smarter. But it wasn't like they were going to instantly eat it and become the smartest people in the world, right? What this fruit would do in their minds would give them wisdom like God. Their fruit in their mind would allow them not to be dependent on God any longer, and so they could now think for themselves, make their own decisions. If they knew these things in their minds, they just believed that in some weird way, they could be equal to the creator of the universe. And that's what the fruit represented for them. This act, I think, is something we can all relate to. We don't want to be dependent on anyone or anything. We want to be self-reliant. But then you, you look back at Jesus and look what he did. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. 
in your relationships with each one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in very nature of God, did not consider equality like Adam and Eve with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Where Adam and Eve were seeking equality with God, Jesus was running towards the life of a servant. Ignored the opportunity to be equal and said, how can I help everyone else? Where Adam and Eve were trying to get a leg up, Jesus was trying to help us get a leg up. How can I make everything better and give other people an opportunity to know God? He chose the path of the servant. He chose the path of the cross. Paul tells the church in Philippi, with one another, choose the path of a servant. Don't strive for independence. Strive for servitude. Why? Because of Jesus. Because that's what he did first and showed us the way. So what do we do? Strive for the path of the cross. Why? Because of Jesus. And that's why we're here today. That's why we have the opportunity to meet like this. In everything we do, it's all because of Jesus. Let's take the time and pray for communion. Father God, we are thankful for this opportunity to meet, uh, thankful for this opportunity to come together. God, I'm thankful for uh, your son making the decision to not choose equality with you, but to choose servitude for us. God, we're so thankful for example. God, we're so thankful for the spirit he left us. God, to be able to guide us back to you, showing us the way. God, we pray right now we can remember all the things you do for us. God, all the ways you love us and take care of us. God, all the ways you've considered us, even when uh, we often uh, overlook so many things. We're thankful we love you. We promise in your son's holy and blessed name. Amen.